Welcome back to the Beyond Macros podcast, a show where we teach you about nutrition and the art of working in so you can get the most out of working out. This episode is brought to you by us, Beyond Macros, a nutrition coaching company whose mission is to help you create a sustainable transformation through high impact habit changes rather than restrictive dieting. To join our free macro counting mini course, just go to our website, beyondmacros.com. You can't miss it. In today's episode, we will cover how to use body composition testing ranging from DEXA scans to scales, how accurate they actually are, and an interesting case study where someone was able to massively manipulate the results of their DEXA scan and the lessons we can take from that case. I interviewed Dr. Gary Slater for this episode because he has published at least 11 studies that examine the accuracy of and best practices for using a variety of body composition assessments. I had the opportunity to meet Gary at his office at the University of the Sunshine Coast in beautiful Queensland, Australia. Upon meeting Dr. Slater, I was actually blown away by the man's physique. He's over 40 years old, but he's built like a college rower who decided that squatting heavy every day was a good idea. Not exactly what one would expect from a researcher who has published 100 papers in the last decade. Then again, he is the sports nutrition consultant to the Australian National Rugby Union and an exercise physiologist, so he is obviously applying that knowledge to himself. Anyways, I digress from the matter at hand. I was also able to check out the lab where he has been conducting his research, and it consists of just about every body composition measurement device and equipment to measure metabolic rate that you can imagine. But you might be wondering why a sports nutritionist is so interested in researching anthropometry, the study of taking body measurements and not performance improvements. My interest in physique assessment of athletes really evolved from working with, you know, a number of athletes over a long period of time where one of the things we're trying to chase was changes in their body composition. And for mine, if you're working with someone to change their body composition, you have to have some sort of tool to be able to assess how effective your intervention is. Otherwise, I think it's just completely unprofessional. To kick off the episode, I want to start with an interesting story Dr. Slater told me about an anesthetist who massively manipulated his DEXA scan to win an office bet. A group of 20 anesthetists put up about $200 each to see who could create the biggest change in their body composition over a 12-week period while doing a boot camp. We had uh, a group of anaesthetists come through, effectively a, a boot camp or a challenge, if you like, over a 12-week period. We had one of the, the gents in particular who um, he lost 7.5 kilos of fat mass over that 12-week period. Fair enough, that's probably possible. He's obviously very diligent. But the thing that really stood out was that he put on 15 kilos of lean mass during that 12-week period. So 15 kilo gain in lean mass almost 8 kilo reduction in fat mass in 12 weeks. Gosh. We had our technician call us up and say, you know, what's going on? Is this physiologically possible? I thought, well, probably not. Um, but, you know, the more we investigated the person, um, you know, a strong background as an athlete who'd had some detraining as a consequence of effectively giving up exercise so we could pass his anaesthetics training, but still really concerned. And, you know, push came to shove, uh, acknowledged that, 
everything that we did to be able to try and enhance the reliability of our measurements, he did completely the opposite. So drank a lot of fluid before he came back in for his post-scan, carbohydrate loaded, creatine loaded, even put an IV line in. Um, comes back in uh, six days later after shit it then with all the other guys that were in the challenge. Um, his fat mass loss was exactly the same, uh, but his lean mass gain went from 15 kilos down to just 5 kilos, which, which again, you know, as we've both chatted about, still a phenomenal response and probably because he's genetically gifted. Um, but that really confirmed for me, you know, if, if you're looking at trying to change body composition and you're using... You want to use some sort of technique to be able to assess how effective your intervention is. You need to have robust protocols to be able to assess that because your success or failure with that individual is based on that. For my American listeners, 15 kilograms is 33 pounds. Gaining that much dry muscle in three months is impossible. Even if you were to believe the overhyped and oversold programs and supplements that promise you will add 10 pounds of pure muscle per month, that's three more pounds than that. From my experience and looking at research, a realistic rate of dry muscle gain is actually between about a half pound to a pound per month for an experienced lifter or athlete who's doing things right. And you could probably get slightly more than that if you're a total newbie. So, with that in mind, you can probably see the importance of accuracy when it comes to measuring your body composition to judge the effectiveness of a program. This particular case with the anesthetist happened almost a decade ago at Dr. Slater's DEXA scanning business. Since then, Dr. Slater and his team published a study looking at how different factors affect the accuracy of each mode of body composition testing. The study that um, we just had published recently was really looking at the factors that can acutely influence uh, body composition results across a range of different techniques. So we use DEXA, BODPOD, which is effectively the new age version of underwater weighing, uh, bioelectrical impedance, uh, partially to use it in itself, but also to get an estimation of the person's uh, total body water content. And then from the combination of those, we're able to build a three and a four compartment model Dr. Slater continued his explanation about the study, but I want to clarify what he means by a four-compartment model. First, a two-compartment model of body composition separates the body into fat mass and fat-free mass. Fat-free mass can be comprised of bones, body water, stored carbohydrate, and of course, muscle mass. Most body composition testing assumes a constant ratio for total body water and bone-to-protein ratio. The four-compartment model that Dr. Slater references uses the DEXA scan to measure the bone minerals accurately and the bioelectrical impedance to measure total body water so they could get a more accurate assessment of the error for each mode of measurement. With a three-compartment model, you use your bod pod results, which assumes a certain amount of water in the body. Rather than assume that, you just corrected that through the, the estimate of total body water through bioelectrical impedance. On the four-compartment model, uh, we also, rather than assume a certain bone mineral content, we actually uh, use the values that we got from the DEXA scheme. We also did some surface anthropometry, so some skin folds on, on these individuals. Uh, and uh, to be able to compare like with like, we put that data into a regression equation. We use the Evans equation because we're based off a generation of a population of athletes uh, to be able to get an estimation of fat mass and fat free mass as well. Just want to check in to make sure you're following. So the study used DEXA, BODPOD, 
bioelectrical impedance and surface anthropometry, also known as skinfold testing, to create an accurate model of the client's actual fat mass and fat-free mass that is more accurate than any individual measurement alone. Now here is how they used this model to test how different factors affect each method. We tested them five times using those protocols over a 24-hour period. So we got them in first thing in the morning. Uh, once we'd done all of those tests on them, we repeated it again straight away thereafter. So any difference between the first and second test would only just be technical noise or technical error. We let them go for the rest of the day then, and they came back in um, later in the evening with variable amounts of food and fluid physical activity. Um, so to, to, to replicate what would happen if you did standardised client presentation before the test. We got them back in first thing the following morning, and then about an hour later, after we've given them um, a meal, so we effectively gave them a breakfast um, that weighed about 500 grams, or we gave them that plus an additional litre of water. Um, what happened? Well. If you look at uh, the DEXA, for example, uh, the DEXA was influenced by um, their food and fluid intake, uh, and that's been shown before as well. So you drink a litre of water, that'll come up as a, a litre of fat-free mass for the DEXA. Um, if we didn't standardise the time of day, um, then that DEXA measure um, of their fat-free mass tended to be increased, and that's probably a reflection of just an increase in total body water content over the day as a consequence of food fluid intake and those sorts of things. Interestingly though, with the DEXA, the estimates of fat mass were an influence rule. So you change your total body water content, um, DEXA's the only thing it's going to influence is that measure of your fat-free mass. It won't influence the fat mass. So, after observing how a standardized portion of food and fluid affected the DEXA results, it appears that fat-free mass can be influenced by fluid intake whereas body fat mass is accurate for a DEXA regardless of what the client does beforehand. How did the other methods fare? If you look at other techniques, the bod pod, uh, we saw an increase in estimates of uh, lean mass, uh, similar to what we saw with the DEXA scan when we didn't standardize the time of day, um, and a slight increase um, with the estimates of fat mass. But with the biological impedance, we saw a significant increase in the estimate of fat-free mass and a significant decrease in the estimate of fat mass. So both of those variables were influenced. Uh, and we saw the same sort of trends there um, when we didn't standardise uh, whether or not that had something to eat or drink beforehand. So the take from that study was, one, DEXA and BODPOD seem to be the most reliable measurements that we can use. Uh, the biological impedance seems to be influenced by a range of different factors and both the fat and the fat-free mass seem to be influenced. And the other important one for mine was that when we looked at the surface anthropometry, especially the raw data, just the raw skin fold data, it did not change one bit over those five testing periods. So you know, the continued use of skin fold data, for example, I still feel really, really comfortable in doing So... BodPod and DEXA are the most reliable, with surface anthropometry or skinfolds being another highly consistent method. Bioelectrical impedance, which is the method a scale or in-body machine uses to gauge body composition, was highly prone to error in measuring both fat mass and fat-free mass. This is why these are my last choices for tracking changes in body composition measurements. 
I asked Dr. Slater if this means that I should even bother having clients get their body composition measured using less accurate devices. You can still use all the techniques, I think, um, but you just need to understand the factors that are contributing to the noise of the error of the test, standardize it wherever you possibly can, uh, and then again, understand the reliability of the, uh, the technique when it's used for your population to assess whether or not it's been a real change or not. Uh, and that can then help direct what you do from an intervention perspective, whether it be training or dietary changes. So naturally, I needed to know how Dr. Slater would recommend that, in a real-world scenario, I can help my clients minimize testing error. If you strip it right back, I guess at the end of the day, all you want to do is have the client present in exactly the same state for all of their assessments. And so if you can have them standardize what they're doing training and dietary-wise um, before their scan, then I think that's a great start. Um, do you want them to come in um, overnight fasting? Yeah, but if they can't get it until 2 p.m., I don't know what the technician would think of. If I've got a fast till 2 p.m., I start to get pretty bloody hangry. Um, but if, you know, the, the advice that we provide to people for the 24 hours before Wenders is pretty generic. One to two glasses of water with each of your meals and snacks so that you're trying to take advantage of the electrolytes that are naturally contained in the food to be able to facilitate a state of hydration. Uh, encouraging them to include some carbohydrate with each of their meals and snacks. Uh, and then if they are doing any training, I normally encourage them to do the training in the AM the day beforehand. So we've got, you know, 24 hours for them to be able to effectively rehydrate and restore their muscle glycogen levels. Um, beyond that, it probably starts to become more impractical uh, for you to be able to facilitate it. Dr. Slater also wanted to point out the practical utility of skin folds versus other methods and how DEXA is the go-to method for tracking the change in body composition between body regions, which is very useful for injured athletes. The other beauty about the surface anthrop is it's something that can be undertaken more routine. Like I can skin fold if I have to every two to three weeks for some athletes, uh, whereas DEXA, we have a limitation of no more than six scans per year. So if I use the example of what might happen with, uh, say, a super rugby um, team, uh, in that pre-season, we'll probably skin fold the guys every month. Um, but we might only DEXA scan them the start of the pre-season, the end of the pre-season, and the end of the season. Uh, and perhaps with some individuals that uh, are injured during the season, we'll also provide some additional DEXA scans just to be able to look at what's happening with regional body composition. Because, you know, if you want to be able to understand what's happening um, with the injured leg, for example, there's really one technique you can use, and that, that seems to be DEXA for being able to track not only that loss of lean mass during the unloading period, which hopefully we can minimize, uh, but also the restoration of lean mass and functionality during the rehab period. I was also curious, on a nerd level, how the findings from this study they published in February affects the results from all the prior research using these methods to assess the effectiveness of training or diet interventions on body composition. His answer scared me. What you often find in, in studies is very, very little information provided in regards to client preparation or presentation prior to having their body composition assessed. Uh, and so that's going to automatically draw doubt on possibly some of the outcomes associated with those studies if changes in body composition were an important outcome measure of that study. Um, 
one of my former PhD students um, explored that and found the vast majority of studies really weren't providing any detail in regards to the the pretest protocol. Uh, and, and we've been able to, to show more recently that what someone does in preparation for a, uh, an assessment of their body composition really does influence results. Uh, and so I, I think, um, you know, this term of gold standard body composition technique gets thrown around for a, a range of the different uh, assessment methods. Um, I think what we, we should be doing is making sure that we understand the nuances associated with the technique, what factors actually influence um, the results of that. Standardise it wherever you can. Um, and then you've got a little bit more insight in regards to the changes that are occurring. Understanding, I know this sounds bloody boring and stats focused, but understanding reliability of your technique. And so that, you know, if your technical error of measurement sits at you know, seven or 800 grams uh, and you see 100 gram variance between the first and the second test for an individual, You've got to have confidence and go back to them and say, look, there's been no change in your body composition. And until it goes beyond that, that technical error, then you simply you can't infer whether or not there's been a real change. And I will leave you with that scary thought. The research that looks to body composition as a primary measurement of the efficacy of an intervention could be prone to errors, and we will never know if we can trust the outcomes because there is no information available about research subjects' preparation for the tests. Yikes. On the plus side, today we have learned some very important lessons. First, there are uninvasive ways to intermittently measure the effect of a training or nutrition protocol on body composition, namely skin folds, girth measurements, and body weight. Second, If you are going to get body composition testing done, no matter what the modality, treat it like a science experiment and get the test done at the same time of day, preferably in the morning while overnight fasted. If you're currently between tests now, simply do your best to replicate the conditions of your last test. Third, if you are using an inaccurate method like bioelectrical impedance and you detect a small change... It might be due to error rather than the program. Take a look at it in the context of other changes ranging from girth measurements to body weight to how you look and feel subjectively. Now, if you're a Beyond Macros client who hasn't been diligent about taking your measurements, let this be a kick in the butt to bust out the tape measure and find someone who can do skinfold measurements. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Beyond Macros podcast. My inner nerd sure did. I've had another conversation with Dr. Slater about his work with Paralympic athletes, rugby players, and more. So you will get to hear more from him in terms of his practical approach to nutrition and exercise in a future episode. To stay in the loop, Make sure you subscribe to the Beyond Macros podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and you can sign up for the podcast newsletter in the show notes for this episode at beyondmacros.com slash 15. I will also provide some bonus audio in the show notes with Dr. Slater's recommendations for how to take accurate skin fold measurements. And of course, I want to take a second to thank listener Fit Cat Klee, who I can only assume is the lovely and strong Lindsay Kelly. She said in her review of the show, I've been working with Beyond Macros for well over a year, and I can vouch for the knowledge and information discussed here. Matt has changed my perspective on nutrition and food as a whole, and it truly changed my life as an athlete, coach, and person. 
some of the most real solid advice and guidance you'll find in any nutrition coach out there. Holy, thank you for that glowing review. You're an absolute gem, and that will keep me motivated to make at least five more episodes in my tent fort recording studio that I am currently sweating in. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you all next week with a fun, experiential episode.